you would, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter four. I was at least under the impression that we've been in Jonah for a few weeks. Is that right? Yes? Okay, well, we're going to finish today. Whether you've been in Jonah or not, we're going to finish the book today. So in Jonah chapter four, every now and then in the Bible, it's really hard to tell what the message of the text is. There are some texts in the Bible that are really tricky to figure out exactly what God's saying. This is not one of those texts. This is an easy text to understand and a really hard text to do. I'll give you the message of the text right now. And if you, after this, if you want to check out, you can, because this is what this text means. God loves people that you don't. That's the point. God loves people that you don't. In fact, it's even worse than that. God loves people that you absolutely despise. People that you would not like to see anything good happen to them, God is ready to shower them with mercy and love and compassion. The same compassion, in fact, that he likes to show you. He likes to show people that we might consider enemies. <clears throat> We've all learned this lesson in some way or another. This is not a fun lesson to learn. And uh, I was just thinking and kind of nailing down a few things on my list. I'll just give you one of the times I've learned this lesson was back when I was in high school, I had this guy that I absolutely could not stand. So this is years ago, we had this feud. I did not like him, he did not like me. We actually ran a ministry together, so that was a recipe for disaster. And uh, so years later, I had not talked to this guy, I hadn't seen him at all, and I'm out, way out in North Edmond, and I'm at a Chipotle, and uh, I get up to the counter, and I turn around, and would you look who it is? This guy walks in behind me. So we do the whole, hey, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. All right, good to see you. And I'm like moving down the line. And I get to the cashier, and I've like sped through the burrito making process, and I hand him my card. And all of a sudden, he looks back at me, and he says, hey, your card is declined. I was like, really? Yeah, let's try it again, try it again. So he swipes it. I don't know what I was doing that day. I didn't have any cash. I didn't have any other cards. That was my only method of payment. And so he's like, I'm sorry, sir, but if you can't pay for the meal, then you, you, know, you can't have it. Well, right at that moment, guess who's right to my right and says, hey, is there, is there a problem? I said, no, there's not a problem. <laughs> he said, did, your, did, did, did they decline your card? And I said, yes, they did. He said, well, that's okay, man. I'll buy your lunch with this little smirk on his face. And I was like, of course you will. Of all the people in the world to be at this Chipotle with when my card declines, my mortal enemy. So he buys my lunch and we kind of go through and I'm trying to be gracious, but I'm just being a bad sport about all of this. And uh, we get to the drink fountain and he says, man, it's really a privilege to get to buy your lunch. And I said, why is that? He said, because I know you don't like me. And I'm like three shades of red darker than usual at this point. And I said, well, man, I'm sorry for some of the things I've said and done. He's like, that's okay. I just wanted you to know that since then I've been praying for you. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's a lesson. That's one of those lessons that in all the time that I had spent really not thinking about him or when I did, it was negative. And I don't know if he was just saying this to get my goat, but I think he was pretty genuine. He had been praying for our relationship. 
And it, it reminded me, you know what? God can have relationship with people that I don't like, that I really can't stand. And in that moment, I was learning the lesson that Jonah was learning in chapter four, that sometimes God surprises you, not in a good way, in a way where you realize that God is extending the same kind of care and love and compassion to other people that he extends to you, but it makes sense when he does it to you, but then you turn around and hate it when he does it to somebody else. That's the Jonah inside all of us. So Jonah is one of the more famous stories in the Bible, and it's usually talked about as Jonah and the whale. The most famous part of the story, Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish, and then he gets spit out and he goes to Nineveh. But chapter four usually gets left off. You don't see chapter four very much at vacation Bible school. Instead, what you see is the Ninevites repenting. But actually, the point of Jonah is not the Ninevites repenting. It's what the messenger of the Lord does in response to that. So Jonah, just a little bit of a recap, Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. He's probably the most unsuccessful, successful prophet in the history of Israel. He does everything wrong. In fact, we don't see him be obedient one time in this book. Eventually, he does go to Nineveh because he's forced to by a fish. But when he gets there, he doesn't even preach the message that God gave him to preach. In fact, you've got to wonder about this guy's credentials. How did Jonah get to be chosen to be a prophet? He doesn't show very much promise. I wonder where he placed in his class at prophet school. 2 Kings 14.25 gives us the only other mention in the Old Testament of Jonah. And it's talking about in the days of uh, the kings of Israel. It says, and Jonah, by the, by the mouth of his servant Jonah, he predicted uh, that Israel's border would extend from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. And uh, <clears throat> it tells us that he is from Gath Helfer and his dad is Amittai. No useful information. But that's all we really know about Jonah. Until we get to the book of Jonah, where we see him be disobedient, swallowed by a fish, goes to Nineveh, and then he preaches this sermon. I wonder how long this took. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's the whole sermon. And I wonder sometimes, what do you think the tone was here? Do you think it was a proclamation, an excited proclamation, like 40 days and you guys are toast? Or do you think maybe it was sarcastic? 40 days, this place might be destroyed. I kind of think it might have been a whisper. 40 days, and it will be destroyed. But don't tell anybody. It's hard to know. All we do know is that Jonah was being as resistant to the Lord as possible. And then the Lord did something amazing. It's helpful, if you read Jonah from start to finish, it's helpful to envision Jonah written as a play, written as, as, as kind of a drama. And the way that Jonah has put this book together, the way that he's telling this story to us, goes in pretty uh, nice and neat scenes. In fact, you could do this as a play really well because the text gives us stopping and starting points. And so we're gonna start our story today in scene four. Scene four, enter Jonah angry. He prays to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God 
and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is far better for me to die than to live. Scene. How many of you guys have another verse in your paragraph at that point? I do. In the ESV it does. In the NIV I think it does too. Well, there's actually an interesting transition that goes, goes on here. So Jonah cries out to the Lord after God relents of the Ninevites and he says to God, you know what, God? I knew that you were gonna do this. I knew from the minute you called me, when you told me to go to Nineveh, I knew that you were gonna forgive them because that's the kind of God you are. The interesting thing about Jonah is he knew exactly who God was and he still tried to thwart his plan. In fact, he's quoting from one of the more famous passages in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. In that passage, God is introducing himself and his character to the Israelites after he's made a covenant with them. And it says, the Lord passed before Moses and he exclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Did you notice what part of that verse Jonah doesn't quote? He quotes the beginning of the verse. God is steadfast and loving. But you know what Jonah really wanted? The second half of that verse. The justice. Visiting the sins of the fathers on the children. As an interesting backdrop to our story, Nineveh, not only were they one of the most evil cities in the history of the world, but they were actually at war with Israel when this was written. Can you imagine how much Jonah wanted justice from the Lord? It would, it would be hard for us to imagine a situation that was like this on a national scale. But it's not hard for us to imagine this on a personal scale. The thing that Jonah was most angry about was that God wasn't showing up to do what he thought God should do, which is judge the evil. One of the things that we read in the Bible over and over and over again is that God is the only one that will bring justice. We are not called to take revenge. In fact, Jesus tells us that taking revenge is something that he has reserved for himself on the day of judgment. So what do you do then when you're waiting for God to be just and you're waiting for him to take the revenge that is his and he doesn't do it? See, Jonah knew from the time that God called that something was going on here. God doesn't usually send prophets to Nineveh. He usually sends them to Israel. He usually sends them to Jerusalem. But now he's sending a prophet into enemy territory. And so the question is, what happens when the only path for justice doesn't materialize? Well, we probably know this feeling that we felt, but Jonah takes it maybe a step further. He says, if you're not going to take justice on these people, then please, Lord, take my life from me. For Jonah, life was not worth living if his enemies didn't get what they deserved from God. It's an interesting insight to his character. 
One of the things that we draw out of this is it's possible to know who God is. It's possible to know his character. It's possible to, cre- to uh, quote Bible verses. It's possible to have spent a lot of time in church and have no idea what God is actually doing right in front of us. See, Jonah knew God's character, but he totally missed what God was doing. I'm angry enough to die. The Hebrew text has a marker after verse three that lets us know that we need to pause after this, that this is a break in the scenes. In fact, one of the ancient manuscripts as an aside, so over in the margin, has a little note for the reader. It says this, it is good for the reader to stop and consider Jonah's speech in silence. It is good for the reader to stop and consider Jonah's speech in silence. If this is a play, we open the scene in verse one with Jonah being angry, and then he says, oh Lord, take my life from me, and immediately walks off the stage. And the ancient interpreter said, it's good to to consider this for a moment in silence. So I do wanna pause, not necessarily in silence, but I do wanna ask you, why do you think Jonah responds this way? It would be easy to say he's angry, of course he's angry, yes, but why does he say, Lord, it's not worthy for me to live? Take a moment at your tables and consider this, throw out some ideas. Why do you think Jonah responds this way? Why do you think he says, if, it's, if you're not gonna do that, then I don't even wanna be alive anymore? Take a minute and consider that and then we'll finish the text. Okay. So we've paused to reflect on why Jonah's so angry that he says, oh Lord, take my life. Maybe two things help us here. Number one, do we remember what happens to prophets in the Old Testament who don't speak the word of the Lord? They're put to death. They're put to death. If you speak against the Lord, Deuteronomy 18 says, you shall be put to death in Israel. So can you imagine the reception that Jonah's going to have when he goes back to Israel? Secondly, how would you like to be the prophet who is known for converting Nineveh? How would you like to go back to Jerusalem where they know that Nineveh, our mortal enemy, was going to be destroyed, but Jonah went over there and now God stayed his wrath. Way to go, Jonah. Jonah thinks that his ministry and his life are over. They're they're over because of what God has done. This is why it's so interesting the way the next scene begins. So scene four ends, Jonah is despairing of life. There is no future for him. And then in verse four, and the Lord said, God was not done with Jonah. God's not done with Jonah. Just because he thinks that he has failed as a prophet, just because God did something that he didn't expect, just because the people that he hated the most now has been exposed to him, that he didn't have the attitude that he should have had, that he didn't know God the way he thought he did, God's not done with Jonah. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
It's almost like when you have a child who's really mad and you're holding back a laugh and you say, does it make you feel better to be angry? It's almost like God is inviting Jonah back in and, and he's joking with him a little bit. And, and, and God really, really yanks his chain here in a minute. But he says, Are you, how's, how's being angry working out for you? How's the sulking going? So Jonah goes out of the city and he sits down to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. You know the interesting thing? After all of this, Jonah thinks maybe something's still gonna happen. He thinks maybe there's a chance that a Sodom and Gomorrah thing is gonna happen and sulfur's gonna fall down. So he says, I want a prime spot just in case. Jonah sits down and he sat under the shade till he, um, till he should see what happened to the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, some kind of gourd, and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. There's a really interesting play on words that's going on here. It's hard to see in the, in the ESV, and I think it's hard to see in the NIV as well, but in the Hebrew, what he's, there's a little play on words going on here. So that word discomfort and the word angry in verse one of chapter four, and the word about Nineveh in verse three, in, in chapter three, is all the same word. It's all the same word. It can actually be translated as evil. So Nineveh is evil. Jonah is, and they have a verb for this, whereas we don't, Jonah is eviling. He is angry. He is eviling. And then God appoints a plant to shade him from his evil. God appoints a plant to bring Jonah out of his discomfort. And so Jonah is exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And so it withered. It's interesting. Another thing that we see throughout this whole book is the action of God. God appointing a plant, God appointing a worm. God, the picture in Hebrew is God rears back and hurls a storm onto the sea when Jonah is in the boat. God appointed a worm. It reminds me of a Winston Churchill quote. He says, we are all worms, but I believe that I am a glow worm. <laughs> this would be a true glow worm appointed by God, a worm used by God to do his will. He comes and he eats the plant, and when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die again. Jonah is so fickle. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? This is an object lesson that God's teaching him. Yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. You have mercy, the Hebrew says, on the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have mercy on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. What an interesting end to the book of Jonah. 
One other thing I just want to point out in the text is there's an interplay going on between Jonah and God. In chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah gives his speech to God. And it is 39 words in the Hebrew. In the last part, in verse 10 and 11, God gives his speech to Jonah. Anybody want to take a guess how many words that is in Hebrew? 39 words. Jonah gives his speech to God. Now God gives his speech to Jonah. And God reveals to him the message of the whole book like we said at the beginning. I care about these people, even if you don't. Now, one of the interesting features of this book is it is one of only two books in your Bible that end with a question. There's only two books of the Bible, Nahum and Jonah, that end with a question mark. And this is really significant. It ends with a question to preserve the tension of the book. In fact, what it's doing is it's asking the reader to answer the question. It's almost one of those uh, choose-your-own-adventure kind of books or one of those where you have to fill in the end of the story. In this text, God is asking all of us questions. The same question that he asked to Jonah is 100% applicable to our lives today. So what questions does God want us to answer in the story of Jonah? I have three of them that I included on your note page as we Bring this thing to a close. The first question that Jonah has to come to grasp and one that we need to grapple with is, do we see God as the God of all people or just our people? Do we see God as the God of all people or just our people? You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, Jesus refers to Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, Verse 38, he says, it, the, Matthew tells us, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We wanna see a miracle from you. And in verse 39, Jesus answers them. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then, this is where we usually stop. The sign of Jonah is not the resurrection. The sign of Jonah is not the resurrection. The sign of Jonah is what happens after the resurrection. Then the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What he's saying is, after the resurrection, at Pentecost, which we're about to celebrate, the Gentiles are going to hear the gospel and repent. And what Jesus is saying is, you Pharisees and scribes who know the scriptures, who study it, who oppress people for not doing it, You guys are totally missing the point. Do you remember on Pentecost, Peter gets up and he speaks to the Jews and God adds thousands of people to the church and the church begins to spread. And do you know who the ones that are the most angry about it are? The Jews. The ones who are supposed to be the Jonas. 
They're supposed to be the ones who are a light to the world. They're supposed to be the ones who were revealing what they know about God to the nations. But instead, what they were doing is concealing what they know about God because they don't like Gentiles. And the message for us out of that is pretty easy to apply. God has given you a mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that your role as a believer, and my role as a believer, is to be an ambassador for Christ. It's easy to be an ambassador for people that you like, for people of your own country, but that's not where you send an ambassador. You send an ambassador somewhere else, somewhere outside of your people, to relate with other nations and other people and different cultures, people that don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't think like us. Our job, the sign of Jonah, is that we would be sent to people that are nothing like us and see them repent and come to know the Lord. Just look at Jesus' disciples, and we see that this is true. This was an odd group of guys by any, by any standards. You got Simon Peter, he's a fisherman, uneducated. You have Simon the Zealot, he's kind of a modern day terrorist. He probably would have been a pretty rough looking guy. Their sect, the things that we know about them is they were pretty easy to identify. They conducted all kinds of small guerrilla warfare attacks on Romans and people that they were against. Then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who's educated and wealthy. He had sold out his people Israel to side with Rome. He's the kind of person that Simon the Zealot probably wanted to attack. And all of these guys are following Jesus around. It's a little microcosm of what the church is supposed to look like. The question for us is, do we think that God is just the God of our people or the God of all people? Is he just the God of the likable, similar people or the unlikable, different people? We live in a culture that fits the description of Nineveh perfectly. He says, and this is, this is so true, verse 11 one of the descriptions he gives of Nineveh is these are people that don't even know their right hand from their left hand. Now, this doesn't mean that the people of Nineveh were stupid. It means that they were morally bankrupt. It means they don't even know what's right and what's wrong. And he says, do you think I don't have compassion on people like that? Our temptation most of the time, or at least for some of us, is to see people who are doing the wrong thing and want God to punish. But what God's saying is, look, I've got a whole group of people they have no idea what's right and what's wrong. Don't you think I should have compassion so that they might know what's right? Is God the God of our people or of all people? Secondly, are we vine-centered or God-centered? Are we vine-centered or God-centered? Did you notice how quickly Jonah's disposition changed when the vine grew up? It was almost as if Jonah was so much more pleased with what God could give him than he was with God himself. Have you ever wondered reading the story of Jonah how great your spiritual life would be if you would just hear from the Lord like Jonah did? It's something that Jonah totally looks over. It's like he's sitting there excited about the plant and we're sitting here being like, you get to talk to God in like an audible conversation. You know exactly what he's saying and you're excited about the plant but Jonah would look at us and say the same thing. You get to go before the Lord at any moment. You have the spirit dwelling within you and 
you're interested in the trinkets that the world can give? It's a, it's a condemnation for us. Do we get more excited spiritually when we get the gifts of God or when we get God? Is our spiritual life going like this based on the things that God gives us from a worldly perspective? See, for Jonah, God knew exactly what it would take to make Jonah happy. Not God, just a vine. Just some shade, just some temporary physical relief is all it would take for Jonah to be happy. And it's a question for us. Are we vine-centered? Do we love God's gifts more than we love God? It's interesting in this book that one of the things God proves to us is he can be God and be faithful whether he is sending a storm, whether he is sending a plant, or whether he is sending a worm. It's most difficult to be pleased with God when he sends the worm, if we're honest. But nothing in God's character changes. Do we love God's gifts or do we love God? Thirdly, when we hear from God, do we react like Jonah or like Nineveh? When we hear from God, do we react like Jonah or like Nineveh? In Eastern Europe, about 350 years ago, in Poland and in what was then Bohemia, they had a tradition, and this was fascinating. Uh, I looked this up. I didn't have time to put a picture on the note page, but if you just Google it, you'll find it. They had this tradition of making pulpits that were the shape of a whale with its mouth open. So if you guys have ever been in older churches that, you know, they don't have pulpits like we do where it's kind of an open air stage and then you have a pulpit. Instead, they have a pulpit that sits up a little bit and you walk up the stairs behind it and usually it has a little covering. Well, they would make these in the shape of a whale so that the pastor, when he's preaching, is literally preaching from the whale's mouth. And it was an interesting thing that happened. Every week as the pastor was going to bring the word of God, he would go behind the pulpit and he would walk up the stairs that were the whale's tail and he would come out of the belly of the whale and stand and present the word of God to the people. They got something really right when they designed their pulpits that way. We are all Jonah. We've come from the belly of the whale, whatever that belly of the whale was for you, that rock bottom moment, that turning point, that time when you cried out to God and surrendered to him. We've all come from the belly of the fish and we're here to tell you about it. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. That's the sign of Jonah, is that we would speak as those who have been in the belly of the fish. I'm gonna mention to Marty that we might think about a whale pulpit, <laughs> maybe in the chapel. But there's something they got really right. Do we hear the word of the Lord like Jonah or do we hear it like the Ninevites? Are we sensitive to it? That this is a word from God. Look at what he did with his messenger to come and speak this to us. Jesus rose from the dead. And if, and if you know what's good for you, you should repent. You should believe. Look at what God did to him. He can do the same for you. We are all Jonah and we're all Nineveh. We hear the word of the Lord and we have a choice. Will you repent? Will you be sensitive to it? 
Or will you be selfish with it and keep it for the people that you think should hear it when God is actually the God of all people? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your story of Jonah. Lord, what you did through him, what you're doing through us. Lord, we thank you that we can see this story and learn a lesson that we've all felt before. Lord, the tension that comes when you do things that we don't expect or things we don't want. Father, thank you for the reminder that you have plans in the world and you love people that are not even on our radar. Lord, help us to be faithful this week. Lord, help us to see you as a God of all people. Lord, to open our eyes maybe to the blind spots with the people that we come into contact with every week that we think maybe are too far away for you to save or people that we wouldn't even want you to save. Lord, use us to speak into their lives. Lord, help us to have a heart like the people of Nineveh. Lord, your son says that he gave a sign of Jonah that people far away would believe, and that's us, Lord. Remind us of that each and every day. Lord, we lift up this time we get to spend studying your word this morning, gathering as a people to worship you. Lord, we thank you that you are our God and you gave us your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.